Untitled Beatles podcast. That's 80s private school white guy me showing. Like, I'm weird with Huey. No, Huey was fine. <laughs> I like him all right. He's definitely, you know, there's worse. And he's in my favorite movie, Shortcuts. Robert Altman. Yes, yes, yes. He is in Shortcuts. I thought you were referring to cruising with Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm like, wouldn't it be hilarious Second if Tony favorite. Mendoza's favorite movie is the Gwyneth Paltrow vehicle cruising? Feet Huey Lewis. I should slate. Feet. Yeah, let's slate. Three, two, one. <laughs> Love Robert Altman. Uh, Nashville yeah. was one of my mother's favorite movies, so I grew up watching that. Yeah. Just great. Cookie's Fortune is uh, streaming now. Another good one. Yeah, he's... Cookie. You see the time we yeah, just did? Yeah, man. Cookie. Welcome to the Untitled Beatles Podcast. I'm Tony Mendoza. And I'm TJ Shanoff. And today it is all bad boy in honor of Thanksgiving. <laughs> Four more years of Trump. Thank you for everything. Let's do this. Talk about these Beatles. <laughs> So it's the 50th anniversary, or soon will be, of John Lennon's debut album, Plastic Ono Band. And Yoko's, too. Yeah, and Yoko's, too. That's right. Uh, why, one might ask. <laughs> as, <laughs> or why uh, not? Or, or why not? <laughs> no, another tie in there. If you went into a record store where the owner of the record store didn't know how to stock a used copy of this, you might have walked out with one of Yoko on the tree. Right. <laughs> because the right. album covers are very similar. They're pretty much identical. One. Yeah. They're laying on each other on the tree. And yeah, but we're going to talk about Plastic Ono Band today. A uh, Plastic Ono Band, if you listen to the show, you know I believe this is, I think it's, it's two things, because I think two things can be true here. It is my personal favorite solo Beatles album, and I believe it is simultaneously the greatest solo Beatles album. Last week, we did All Things Must Pass, or the last two weeks, I think, we did All Things Must Pass. Yeah. And uh, didn't set out to be a two-parter, but then <laughs> God gave us a triple album, an Apple Jam, and it's Johnny. Johnny it's Johnny's birthday. It's like four in the morning. All right, thanks for the pepperoni. Can we wrap this fucking thing? Uh, but, I, you know, All Things Must Pass is probably my number two. It's so sprawling. This Tony is anything but. It is direct. It is brief. It is stunning. It is, again, unlike anything in the Beatles catalog and maybe the history of recorded rock music. It's the greatest out. Al- if you got to pick one solo Beatles album, this is the one I take. Yeah, totally. Me too. Also my favorite. Also, I believe it is the best. And it uh, shares Phil Spector as the producer with uh, yeah. All Things Must Pass. That's right. But vastly different results. Yeah, where All Things Must Pass is so heavy and thick and every 70s band <laughs> recording on it. <laughs> this is just, you know, this is almost every song. Some songs are just John. One song is John with Phil Spector playing piano, but you had a little Billy Preston in this, but it's basically this trio of John Lennon, Klaus Vorman, and Ringo Starr. Yeah, it's great. It's like, I think that's what you, you nailed it last week when you said that this was just like more of a direct album, you know, versus All Things Must Pass, being vast and mountaintops and the, the majestic horizons and this and that. This is just like blunt force trauma. 
Yeah, in, in the most it clean, not sterile clean, but with just a trio on most tracks. So like, again, there's a little organ sweetening here and there on isolation. And, you know, but for the most part, it's a very it's it's a pared down record. And for I realize McCartney is McCartney's first solo uh, yeah. excursion. But I'm just going to use Ram for the benefit of example here, because for if all things, those are my three favorite solo Beatles albums. So if all things must pass is sprawling and gorgeous, and this is direct and gorgeous. Ram is eclectic and gorgeous. They're each such different albums. And it shows you the wealth of material. Obviously McCartney came before Ram, but the wealth of material they all have when they were emanating from the constraints of the Beatles. I'm so excited. We just said off air before we began, how excited we both are to spend an hour talking about this great record and how fun it was to go back. Cause this album, like you said too, this album's in our bones. Mm-hmm. I don't pull plastic Ono band out once a month and, and give it a spin. I, I, I know it. I own this album in my soul. So to really listen, I listened <laughs> to two different pressings of the vinyl, um, an old one and a new one. And as kind of my excuse to reinvest and fuck Tony, nearly every note is perfect. They're all perfect, and a lot of them are imperfect and mistakes, and therefore perfect, you know, like a Navajo knitted (laughs) blanket. else top of mind when it comes to this record and our love for this record like where because this was not a massive chart topper either tony this album will get to mother in a moment mother love should have been the single they went with the slightly edited version of mother where they chopped the bells off and faded it early right um but this album not a commercial hit no not at all not at all but it's a fan favorite i think everyone just who loves the beatles knows that this is one of the best, if if not the best. Uh, came out yeah. December 11th, 1970. So in the summer of 1970, John and Yoko come out to L.A. and they hang out with Arthur Janoff, who is doing this primal scream therapy, which is the idea of drawing out repressed emotions. And so this is Lennon kind of finally dealing with these demons that he has about basically being raised without a mother and father. His mother... Gave him off to his Aunt Mimi, right? And then was killed. Right, right. Yeah, they started to develop a relationship kind of as he was a teenager. They kind of reconnected. They were very close despite living with Aunt Mimi. John and his mom were very close. And then, yeah, and then she was uh, run over by a, I guess it was an off-duty policeman. Yeah, and then his dad was also just, he was like old school, like hobo, see you later. I'm on, he was a merchant seaman or something, right? Isn't that the story? I think. Yeah. Which was my favorite character in the village people as well. <laughs> <laughs> young man. There's Undine. 
<laughs> My uncle Saul was the seventh village person in the navy. I always love it. It's navy, always yeah. it's always like the the masculine right wingers who are bouncing around to the fucking village people at like you know Tennessee Titans games. Like you know, it makes me laugh so much. Makes no sense. And then the whole backwards baseball cap thing, you know, because in in, right. in gay culture that meant like oh I suck cock or something like that. But no one, you know. All these pros are Please sing it. <laughs> <laughs> so John Lennon had it rough as a kid and was yeah. never really able to let go. I mean, you know, his his mother never saw him become John Lennon, the Beatle. No, I mean, his dad did, and then tried to get some money out of it. Him, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Um, so John really had it rough, and Janov's a fascinating figure. There's another band. This sounds like I'm going to make a joke because you know me pretty well. I'll tell you right now, I'm not making a joke. There's another band that I think is actually one of the best bands of the 80s, uh, Tears for Fears, that wrote a song called Shout. I'm being serious, rejecting. I knew you're going to laugh because it's true. I love Tears for Fears. I like that Shout song. I remember when Schaefer played it on the Letterman show after a top 10 going over the thrill <laughs> camp. Anyway. <laughs> and that's why we do this show together. That, that right there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love the band and, uh, I also love the band with Robbie Robertson and LeVon Helm, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> fuck you, Rick Danko. I'm not going to mention <laughs> you right now, Poor Rick but, Danko. uh, uh, shine silently. He did a uh, solo with uh, Ringo <laughs> in the 89 tour. I don't, don't, don't ask me why. Good, Billy shit. Joel. Good shit. But anyway, <laughs> the song shout, which was a massive hit for tears or fears, I think in 85 was a rejection of Arthur Janoff and about Primal Scream Therapy. Shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things I can do without. Come on, I'm talking to you. Was So there's a kind of a cool, weird Beatles connection to that 80s hit. Shout, shout, Well, it was done quickly. I believe it might have been done in 10 sessions, perhaps. But yeah, Phil Spector was the producer on this. It was recorded at EMI between September 26th, and then I think it was finally finished on the 29th of October, 1970. So they worked very quickly. It has a mono feel, so we don't have the wall of sound, like we already mentioned, but there's not 45 guitar players playing on it. It's basically three guys playing music. Two songs have some overdubs. It is stereo. Some songs are mono, but if it's going to be stereo, it's like, oh, the bass drum is in the right channel a little bit, or the hi-hat's in the left channel. It's going to be something like that. This is a very direct record, like you said. And even though Phil Spector produced this record, everything you can read about this says... He w- didn't really produce it. I think John Lennon took out an ad in Billboard magazine that said, "Like, hey Phil, uh, where are you? You know, uh, <laughs> c- call us up." Like, Phil, uh, he, Phil was kind of MIA. However, as we'll get to, however little he produced this, his piano part on one of the greatest songs on this makes his contribution entirely worth it. So yeah, let's let's go track by track. And we'll save. You want to do Bad Boy today? I wanted Ringo's "Time Takes Time." Uh, the bonus version of Japan includes the "Don't Be Cruel" from the Curly Sue soundtrack. I might have made that up, but it feels right. Ooh, Curly Sue! You made me think about that movie. That was a, that was a wasn't that Charles Grodin, right? I never saw exactly where the road would lead me. One day I woke. To find somebody needs me I thought I'd take it luck As far as it would go so yeah, let's let us let us 
plow into this record and I'm holding, you have a copy of the vinyl. I'm holding the original cassette that I learned this album on. That's great. So yeah, yeah. it's a great record. And yeah, yeah I'd love the packaging on it too. Before we go track by track, I just, uh, I really like this. Uh, Polaroid Instamatic photo, I believe it was taken by, I'm looking at the liner notes here, cover photograph, Dan Richter. So it's not a, it's not professional. It was done like a... Are you shitting on Dan Richter? <laughs> you, wait, for, for real, let's, uh, can we stop rolling? What fucking pretend Beatles fan shits on Dan Richter? You know what? <laughs> fucking Dan Richter fucked me out of $40. At a Beatles conference. <laughs> oh, great! Mark Lewis is going to talk to Dan Richter. Great. So let's let, uh, let's talk about this record. Let's start with with the opening track. Yeah, Mother. It begins with four bells and a quick thing. I want to just uh, parallel this to John's comeback album, the last album before he died. Double Fantasy begins starting over. Begins with um, the sound of chimes. And I mean, I'm sure it was connected, but thinking of those two songs as part and parcel of each other, one in 70, one in 80, one right before he died, um, just gets me. This whole album does. But yeah, Mother, uh, I mean, what a song. Yeah, I love those bells for the record because they're slowed down. There's this haunting quality to them. And they're also really long. Uh, And you get four of them. So it's like a it's this like completely dirge like four count into this like experience that you're you know you don't know what you're getting into when you first listen to this record you really don't sets the tone for what this album's going to be, which is like, mother, you had me, but I never had you. Father, you left me, but I never left you. I mean, we're getting into it. Like this is, I mean, this is where the whole Janoff thing worked that summer. He was able to tap into this stuff and just put it out directly onto a, a sheet of paper that then went into this microphone. You know, the, the pain he was feeling that Beatlemania couldn't cure, that the adulation from the world. And then also, you know, the other side of it too, and the Christ comments that got him into the trouble in the South. Oh, the Maureen Cleave stuff, yeah. Yeah. Or, or when he, you know, started hanging out with Yoko and the world was starting to reject that concept. Like, he was kind of put through this complete emotional ringer just amplified by fame right and yeah and he puts out then the most personal record beginning with the source of it all mother and for those who aren't janoff heads uh not to be confused with shanoff heads which many of many of our fans are i i uh, <laughs> his whole theory arthur janoff was 
the only way to deal with pain as an adult is to go back to, I think I'm getting this right, is to go back to the very beginning and deal with uh, the unresolved pain when you're coming out of your mother's womb, um, the screaming that takes place there, the shock of it all, is to kind of acknowledge and deal with that by becoming a baby again, letting it out with primal scream. See, I don't really want to get this big primal thing going because it gets so embarrassing, you know. And the thing, in a nutshell, a primal therapy allowed us to feel feelings continually. And those feelings usually make you cry. That's all. I love this song. It's good. And those screams are iconic with him at the end on the fade out. It is a long fade out, too. It's like almost a Hey Jude fade out, meaning like it's almost half the song is a fade out. It's so intense. And, you know, you mentioned playing this not knowing what to expect. If you're a Beatle fan in 1970 and you're buying the new solo, and John Lennon had had some singles, and of course, Instant Karma preceded this, and he had the, the Dick Around, Tetragramman, Zapple Records. Um, but to hear him sing this song and uh, to not know what lies ahead just a few minutes later must have just been stunning. The first time hearing Mother is one of those moments, especially in real time. But that's true with every, I mean, with almost every Beatles thing, especially the great stuff, I've always wished I could experience it at the time. Um, at the end of it, Ring, oh, by the way, uh, Ringo keeps up his time in this with the stuttering ahead with the mama don't goes as yeah. Ringo's both reacting and fucking driving. Yeah. And that's what's so phenomenal is they're just so, and Klaus Vorman too, they're so in, it, it, the band starts so simply with John's piano playing so simply. And then it gets more complicated as the song gets more anguished because the tempo starts shifting ever so slightly. It is, uh, and like I mentioned in the intro to this, there's an arpeggio, a major arpeggio at the very end of the fade out that, uh, again, if I'd heard it before, I just hadn't really cared, but hearing it now just struck me. It it feels like a respite from the pain and torture you've just heard. And then the next song is kind of a respite from that. Hold on. The second track. Yes. It's one of the lighter songs on the record. It's got like a mellow feel to it. I really like this song. I, it's almost like it's a CBD oil. <laughs> after, <laughs> yeah, you know, after that first song, you're like, oh, Christ, is this what is this what we're in for? You know, hold on, you know, mm. and uh, yeah, I've always loved this song. It's 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 the closest he gets to sounding, you know, like McCartney's domestic thing you know yeah and the way this is placed in the album to your point following mother it's reassuring it's it, like many Beatles moments it's like coming back from a bad trip so it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy and then all of a sudden the the music soothing you and the lyrics are telling you hold on John hold on Yoko it's gonna be all right we're gonna win the fight yeah it's 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 it, it's like a polar opposite and somehow no less stunning than Mother in its own way. I, I'm, I'm with you. I've always just loved, adored the song. 
I, there's a part of me, some, you know, sometimes you change lyrics in your head, like in in Good Morning, Good Morning, I'll say, like, then you decide to take a walk because you're old school <laughs> instead of, <laughs> okay, instead of yeah. by the old school. So when he says, hold on, Yoko, Yoko, hold on, I always sing, hold on, Ringo, Ringo, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun. <laughs> it works both ways for me. That's funny. I, I, I think that, too, when I've, I've got a mashup in my head of Good Morning, Good Morning and Good Morning Vietnam. It's called Good Morning, <laughs> Good Morning Vietnam. And it's just Robin Williams doing all kinds of Beatles stuff. <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> You know, rest in peace, my friend, or power, whatever. But <laughs> remember when he would just go on talk shows and just riff? Like he'd go on Johnny Carson, he'd be like climbing over the chairs and like 10,000 miles per hour on Coke. Like, it, it, I loved it. It was part of the reasons why I always respected Martin Short because Martin Short was doing it, but not high. Right, right. Which I always yeah. thought was kind of cool. Martin Short, best talk show guest of all time. I love him. Is that fair? Well, I always, I always like people like Harvey Pekar and Brother Theodore. I am what you might call a controversial figure. People either hate me or despise me. <laughs> they would rather shake the devil by the tail than shake me by the hand. But with every failure, David, with every failure, my reputation grows. One of these days, you'll see my picture on every postage stamp. One of these days, I'll funerize the world! Is, uh, is that a Banlon shirt? Well then, yeah, third song, I Found Out. I told you before, see away from my door. Don't give me that brother, 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 brother. The freaks on the phone. Cool guitar sound, man. So, uh, yeah, full disclosure, at this writing, the most recent episode of Something About the Beatles, uh, another Beatles podcast, uh, has uh, an engineer, John Leckie, who uh, is credited on this album as John Lickie. And uh, he talks about the, the, how he got the guitar sound on I Found Out and Well, Well, Well. We learned it's a, it's a national dobro, one of those uh, acoustic guitars, you know, with the steel circle in the front. And it's going through a Fender Champ, which is a little practice amp, but it's like a six-inch speaker. It's a little amp, and he's just over-cranking it. 
and uh, then there's some tremolo going on too but that's that's what gets that real like strange mosquito-y guitar sound that you hear on i found out i never knew that uh i love that podcast i'm months behind on something about the beatles um but god bless you guys we have an engineer as well ladies and gentlemen please help me welcome magic alex hello i'm alexis uh from apple electronics uh, I would like to say hello to all my brothers around the world and uh, to all the girls around the world and to all the electronic people around the world. Uh, but I, I dig this song. I mean, so... I like all these songs. Yeah, they're all great. <laughs> Full disclosure, yeah, the every song on here is great. So, yeah, what do you think of this song? Uh, I love this song too, and the lyric that's always haunted me. And I'm not a I'm not a religious guy. Um, I'm a jealous guy. Um, <laughs> um, have you ever heard the Donny Hathaway version of that? Did we talk about that? Of what jealous guy? Donny Hathaway's jealous guy. I don't think so. We we did it. We did a cover show right. a while back, and I heard this after that. I forgot if I sent it to you or not, but it is great it is banging it is soulful it is just like one of the as i've said many times beatles songs done by black artists always just because they just infuse so much soul in these songs that were influenced by soul even if they weren't soul songs not a religious man the line that always got me was i've seen religion from jesus to paul yeah and i know that there's a religious connotation but coming up to break up of the beatles the element of his paul has just always kind of gutted me what does it mean what is the commentary it was paul who was doing let it be and that kind of gospely stuff what is john saying there right right so I've I've always been so in, in, intrigued by that. And Klaus Vormann's bass, um I, I don't I'm not a bass player. I don't know that it's a hard part, but it is fierce and ferocious and propulsive. Yeah. And it just keeps the song chugging. There's not a lot happening musically in the song, but the playing of it is so interesting that it makes a non brilliant musical composition become a brilliant song. Yeah, that bass line is real strange. It's snaky, and 
I don't even know what notes he's playing. It works though. It's it's like it it kind of ascends and it it's funny. It's I like that guy a lot. He might be my favorite whatever, you know, peripheral beetle, I think. Yeah, it it begs the question. I had this thought and this is definitely in a whole other episode. Um I've always called the fifth beetle George Martin. Yeah. And I don't know that I can really diverge from that, but do you not put Klaus Vorman, given not just his role as a sideman for a lot of the Beatles, for three of them, um, but designing the revolver cover? Yeah. And while I don't love the anthology covers, I respect the idea and the task was impossible. <laughs> and right. he got some good jokes in. <laughs> Take, taking up the picture of Savage Young Beatles with uh, Pete Best and covering it up with a picture of Ringo's. Such a great, like, Klaus, why, why you got to be so cruel? Um, but yeah, his, his bass playing in the song, we'll save that talk for a different episode, but his timing, his bass playing in the song was just phenomenal. I guess there was a conga part that was recorded, but uh, never mixed into it. Well, the Gloria Estefan cover of this is one of my favorites. One, two, three, four. I told you before, stay away from my door. By the way, the Danny Bonaducci version of Jealous Guy is also good. I just had to say that since you were talking about it. found out it's a good one yeah it begins this idea of him rejecting things and tearing down the facade of whatever the beetle thing and the mystique of everything and just stripping things down and saying i am an unhappy person and why you know it's cool. And there's even not really an affront to George, but to Indian mysticism where mm-hmm. old Hare Krishna got nothing on you. Just keep you crazy with nothing to do is kind of a fuck you to mysticism. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was just watching on Vimeo. There's, you know, one of those extended uh, let it be movie, whatever cuts. And um, yeah, man, it's, 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 it's a hard watch still, even as a fan, it's hard to watch a lot of that, that footage. But th- what I'm getting at is that there's a lot of footage of, of John and Paul, to a degree, kind of making fun of that whole Maharishi thing they did a year earlier, you know, and saying like, oh, yeah, kind of joking about what a crock of shit it was. That's where Sexy Sadie came from, mm-hmm. was a fuck you to the Maharishi originally. Yeah, they disavowed that fairly, fairly quickly. Well, George got the last laugh because... I mean, again, this album is in the same league as and probably better than All Things Must Pass. I think it is. But this album didn't dominate the winter of 1970, Tony. All Things Must Pass did. Yeah. Yeah, there was. Yeah. I mean, Mother maybe got on the charts, I think, but it definitely didn't top them the way. I mean, My Sweet Lord was the first number one by a, a Beatle. 
And for weeks, I think uh, that was my mother's favorite uh, Beatles related song. Is that right? That's great. She talked about it all. My parents were not huge Beatles fans. My mom always loved My Sweet Lord. And she always talked about it as she said that song was played. She remembers it playing all throughout Christmas that year. That's that cool. Christmas 1970, apparently, that's, that song was just heard all the time. Mother was not. <laughs> it's more of a Thanksgiving song. <laughs> <laughs> when I think Mother, I think Thanksgiving. I think Purim. You know, I really think the big holidays. Um, by the way, are you still, quickly, because we don't want to get away from the Beatles too much and from John, but I'm still going to Cole's Friday at 2 in the morning. Are you going to go do your Black Friday shopping? <laughs> I'll, I'll wear a mask to put on a show. I don't believe in him. But are you still going to go to Cole's at 2 a.m.? <laughs> Yeah, man. God, I hate people. (laughs) I I hate people. I'm going to be real clear. No, that is what I I said those exact words to a cashier at BevMo the other day when the guy behind me was like two feet behind me. And I turned around and I said, are we doing six feet or what? And he goes, I don't have COVID, bro. (laughs) I I turned to the cashier. I'm like, I hate people so much. And then we were both both grumbling about each other in the parking lot. Well, 77 million people in the country who lack, what's the word, fucking empathy. Okay, so the, the next song, Working Class Hero, uh, I, I mean, one of the two most important songs on this album, and the way I, I, the way I wrote it down was it's one of the two definitive songs on an album that's entirely definitive. Yeah, that's so great. So on an album that is already the most important in the in the solo Beatles canon, Working Class Hero and then on Side 2 God are the two to me most important and most gut-wrenching songs on this record. Working Class Hero for John and I, I want to get your take on this Tony because for a long time I thought John was playing it straight. And then you learn more about Beatles history and he was middle class. He wasn't from a working class background. It, it almost feels tongue in cheek. If you want to be a hero, just follow me. He sings twice at the end. I don't think John Lennon means that. Uh, uh, give me your thoughts on the song and how have you internalized this remarkable composition? Yeah, it, well, it's it's this personal anthem, right? And it's complicated because he's kind of praising the the martyrdom bit but at the same time he's yes. condemning it as you know but you're still fucking peasants you know so he's also buying into the classism on it and then at the end yeah is he being tongue in cheek at the end if you want to just follow me you know if you want to be a hero right isn't that the line yeah if you want to be a hero just follow me he sings it twice yeah there's room at the top there telling you still, but first you must learn how to smile as you kill. I mean, there's some great lines in here. They hurt you at home and they hit you at school. They hate you if you're clever and they despise a fool. Till you're so fucking crazy you can't follow their rules. Working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be Also, yeah, big F-bomb drop. First F-bomb by a Beatle. Uh, someone hasn't heard Sentimental Journey in a while. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think R- Ringo really hit it on Bye Bye Blackbird. <laughs> well, the first intentional F-bomb, because, you know, Hey Jude does have Lennon going, I fucked up in it as well. But Right, which is great. And you can kind of hear it in the mix, which I love too. It's a first. Now, I have an original Apple American copy. I, I read a bunch of times in my research for this that the F word was bleeped out with asterisks on the on the sleeve. Oh, no. Um, and then there was a note that was said with the asterisks, um, something like uh, swear word omitted because of EMI. Like he blamed because EMI made him they fought having him swear on the album. Uh, but then they let him and said it just can't be in the lyric sheet on the uh, inner sleeve. Huh. So apparently, maybe just in the UK, copies had the word fucking asterisked out. Every copy I have, and I've got an Apple US pressing. I don't know if it's a first or second or whatever, but it it has the word fucking on it. Yeah, me too. The one I'm looking at says fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I think like everything, it's 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 Lenin, so it's going to be complicated. You know, it's like the the country my father came from, Cuba. It's this beautiful place, but man, is it complicated, you know? <laughs> I don't know. But you love it. Yeah, and it also feels like his most overt early Dylan reference. Like, people yeah. talk, hey, you've got to hide your love away. This, to me, sounds way more like Bob Dylan than fucking any of those songs from 65. And... Then he's going to turn around and tell Dylan to fuck off on side two. <laughs> so to your point about the, the the conflict of John Lennon, the, the yin and, and the yang, maybe he is saying two things. But I think there was a long time where I thought, if you want to be a hero, just follow me. And I think about the bed in for peace. But then I think about, you know, don't follow leaders, watch the parking meters and right, right, disavowing Dylan. Dylan on side two and, and, and every idol that had ever come before him on side two. So I, I've never known how to interpret Well, it. in the previous song, right? Yes. With him saying, you know, yeah, he's just talked about like, you know, he found out that all this was shit. And then the next song, he's kind of saying like, follow me. I'm your new, yeah. you're, I'm your new bag. Yeah, it's cool. And and the first time I ever heard this song, and I, I heard it late. I heard this album, I think, when I was 18 in the desert. But the first time I heard Working Class Hero, I, the first thing I thought was Dylan. That's what it sounds like. It's that that one chord. It's just him on, on an acoustic. It sounds like it could be from any of the first couple Bob Dylan records. And they did do 12 takes, and he loved it, and then he realized he left out a verse. And that's why there's an edit that goes into the third verse that they did a couple weeks later. Yeah, you can hear wow. the edit. It's not a particularly clean edit. No, no. They did the best they could. When they tortured and scared you for 20-odd years Then they expect you to pick a career When you can't really function, you're so full of fear A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be Without question, Working Class Hero is, and it's been covered a bunch. Green Day did a passable version of it, actually, in like 03 or 04. I like Green Day. 
I don't know that's a controversial statement, but um, they did kind of a cool version of this on that same Lennon tribute album where, where Michael Stipe and R.E.M., who never liked John Lennon, sang a John Lennon song. Congratulations, number nine dream. Um, but yeah, to me, it's one of the most important songs that John Lennon ever wrote. next song is Isolation, which is another great album track. It starts as this soft ballad, and then it builds into these tense, like, masculine... They're like Batman onomatopoeias, like, bam, bam, you know? Those hits for the, the bridge, yeah. I don't expect you to understand after you've caused so much pain then releases that tension that had been built up and it goes back into the last verse and i've always liked this song yeah it's i mean how do you follow up working class hero you follow it up with this fucking super hardcore bluesy passionate it's not organ drenched but when the organ comes in it's just it takes you to a whole different place in the song the tempos change the dynamics change uh, I actually, and this is not a thought I've had for years, but listening to this again a bunch of times lately to prep for the show, I describe this as Sexy Sadie's much more beautiful and smarter cousin. Yeah, that's good. I, I mean, there's just something. It's like he realized some of what he was going for in Sexy Sadie, which is a fine song and became playful. And I know came from a different point of view and place while writing it. Um, obviously with initially a satire on the Maharishi. Right. But there's just, this feels like related to it with the piano and some of the phrasing and the spacing of it. But this song to me, I mean, this is like, it's a great album rock song is what it is. And it's a perfect follow-up in this place. I, I think what a different album it is if you flip the songs. Doing this on vinyl for the first time in a long fucking time. If you'd gone, I found out to isolation to working class hero and ended the side on that, which I think a lot of people might have thought you got to end side one with working class hero. It might make some sense, yeah. But to give you isolation before you flip the record over and decide to, it takes you to a different point of reflection than working class hero, and it's breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And as someone who doesn't hear lyrics, we've we've talked about that. When I first heard this record, I heard the lyrics. This is one where I oh, I can hear these lyrics. And that again is because of the sparse production and this and that. And the vocals are way up in the mix, but 
there was something I, I just liked about it. And again, there's kind of a, I don't know. I'm a suck. I was kind of a sucker for romance, especially around 18, but just a boy and a little girl trying to change the whole wide world. You know, when you're 18 and you hear that, you know, you from, from one of your idols, you know, who at that point was 30 years old, you know, was still like, that seemed still like an old age when you're 18. Like, oh, wow, that guy at age 30 is still, you know, can still capture these kind of teenage butterflies in a way that is more mature than, you know, a Gary Puckett song or whatever, you know. Lady <laughs> willpower. That's the second or third time I've done that on here. I listen to a ton of oldies, 104.3. No, I... Tony, it, it's a great point, and I always wondered who he's talking to when he sings, I don't expect you to understand after you cause so much pain. Who's he singing to? Right. Right. Is it Paul? Yeah, it might be Paul. It might be... Is it his dad? Beatlemania. It might be his mother. Right. His dad. I don't know. It might be the world. We're afraid of everyone. Afraid of the sun. I always... I liked... I loved that line. I still do. You know who else loves it? Big sunscreen. Uh, <laughs> Coppertone's a big fan of that. They sell move more product. Coppertone's for you and you and you too, whoever you are. And then you start side two with remember, and it almost sounds like it's skipping <laughs> because the beat's so off kilter at the very beginning. There's a couple subtle tempo shifts at the beginning of the song. I love it. Again, John's taking you on this journey where the songs aren't just of of impeccable quality, they're ordered and placed in the perfect way. George Martin used to talk about opening uh, the sides with a quote-unquote pot boiler. This song's a pot boiler. It's a rock out. It ends with a fucking gunshot, which is uh, tragic and ironic. And who would have known so many years later what that gunshot would represent Ten, a decade later, almost to the year. This was released December 11th of 70, and yeah. he was dead the night of December 8th. Yeah. Of 80? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, Jeez, yeah. I never thought of it that way. It's less, yeah, he had less than 10 years to live on this album's release. Don't feel sorry about the way it's gone. Don't you worry about what you heard that sound as an explosion though more than a gunshot well uh, it celebrates guy fox day which i've known for a long time but never knew but never knew what it meant till the show i'm like oh some fucking british or canadian thing when i don't know what something is i dismiss it as a british or canadian <laughs> thing well guy fox day so november 5th 1605 uh it was a guy who tried to blow up parliament with dynamite Meaning he took Jimmy Walker of good times to <laughs> Parliament. But this is a dude from 1605. Like, how many other people do you know from 1605? This guy, we we know his name. It's like, oh, cool. In, in 2407, is it going to be Dylan Klebold Day or something? Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Christ. <laughs> Sorry. I hope not. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just saying, like, what's that about? <laughs> 
know. Yeah, it's it's so I because it was the battle of the gunpowder. That's why I thought it was a gun. It's the gunpowder plot of sixteen oh five. Okay, right, gunpowder. You're right. Yeah, I guess I heard blow up parliament. That sounds like you know TNT. You know, (laughs) plunger and. Wiley Coyote. And I that. love when TNT shows blowing up Parliament with Will Smith, <laughs> Dennis Quaid. It's great. Yeah, that was the British Independence Day. <laughs> That's what they called it, dude. Indi- lot lot of movies you may not know they changed their name and they released them overseas. Yeah. Independence Day was called Blowing Up Parliament. Yeah. I an apostrophe. Uh, this song was recorded on his thirtieth birthday. Uh, I love this song. I've always liked it. It's another favorite of mine. I like the tempo on it. I believe it's the fastest song on this record. So, I mean, it's not like punk rock or anything, but it's it's close. It's close. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's and, you know, the, the meter is interesting, the musical meter, I should say. Like, you know, if you're drumming to this, sometimes your twos end up becoming ones, you know, and you're like, oh, okay. Ugh. I guess there was a mouth harp part that didn't make it. I, I know it goes on for like eight minutes, you know, if they hadn't cut it. Yeah, I don't know if I've heard that that uh, version of it or the extended version of it. I haven't either. Uh, no, I think it's on one of those bootlegs, but I, I read about it in, um, there's a great book, uh, the Chip Mattinger and uh, not Mitch Easter, but. Uh, that Eight Arms to Hold You, that's a great book. That's like an essential and important book. Mark Easter. I love Remember Two, and they he I, I've always loved that he cites Sam Cooke in this. Oh yeah, that's if right. You, if you ever change your mind, that's Sam Cooke from Bringing It Home to Me, which which he, Lennon loved. Yes, yeah. In fact, they they play it in the Let It Be sessions. Yeah, <laughs> a, a version of it. A slow. That is that's another episode because all the covers in Let It Be sessions are an atrocity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, let's make our saddest episode that. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) That and when we really do Bad Boy. Yeah, so remember, great song, great album opener. I encourage everyone to hear this on album. Um, By the way, uh, let me interstitially throw in this here. I've listened to a couple different pressings of this. This is the solo John album I own the most copies of. The best way to hear this, if you can find it, and I'll send you the files, Tony. Yeah. 
uh, uh, mastering engineer named Steve Hoffman remixed it in 2000, I think. And I've got this original master recording gold disc edition. Right, the gold I discs. I bought at the time. I, I didn't do like A-B tests. I just kind of did the eye slash ear test. This is the best sounding version of this I've ever heard. So really? I'll send you these files later. If anybody can yeah. find, it's the the Steve Hoffman remixed version from the early 2000s, the gold disc especially. It's there's It, it feels like he's in the same room with you. John, not Steve. <laughs> Dude, Steve Hoffman's mixes are so good. It's like he's in the same room with you. Oh, fuck. He is in the same room with me. <laughs> yeah, somebody empty the ashtray. Jeez. Well, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I, I only have this on vinyl. The uh, Apple, the Apple um, assumed the American pressing, and uh, I, I love it. In fact, in the next song, which is by far one of the best Lennon songs ever, Love, I've heard that they've since like tinkered with um, the piano, the intro, and the outro. Uh, in the stereo remixes and stuff, and that like the best way to hear this song, maybe in particular, is the the original vinyl pressing where they don't touch it. I, I'm pretty sure on all the vinyl and CD pressings of this album, it is the original version. Some of the ones that were tinkered with came from a remix when they finally issued it as a single in the early 80s in the UK to promote the John Lennon collection greatest hits album that in America was on Geffen's. They had to borrow the master tracks from EMI in the UK was on EMI. So they released a single to promote it. And that single version of love, which I think has been used on this, on the compilations, that's the one that's got it re, uh, remixed. I think if you still get any Plastic Ono band, it'll be the exactly as you heard it. Maybe same music, maybe mixed a little differently, but the different version is the the this quote unquote single edit, I believe. Okay, yeah, and the reason they did that was to take out the tape hiss that's in that right. uh, intro as it fades up. It's beautiful. It's just one of those most beautiful songs. Yeah, I just I'm impressed with Phil Spector's piano work on this song. It's perfect. Phil Spector's piano work is perfection. As great of a piano, as underrated as a piano player as John Lennon was, and Paul McCartney was a great piano player too. George played a little piano. Um, uh, Ringo played piano. If it's in C, <laughs> and then I go to town. I wonder if I'll see all three. That's your second <laughs> early 1970 reference. I play guitar A. D E, um, yeah, man, that didn't know that was gonna happen. Um, yeah, this this song is the John Lennon standard that wasn't. I think weirdly, even though this is on some hits collections, when you think about all the great John Lennon songs, this ranks up there with one of the best written and performed songs. Phil Spector's piano is perfectly tasteful and fits this thing great. Um, and because it wasn't a single, it feels like people don't equate this song with the great John Lennon ballads. And that's fucking crazy because it's one of the best songs he ever wrote or sang. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, a, you know what? It's such a personal song. Like, I, I'm glad it wasn't a big 
single hit. Like to me, this is a song you listen to kind of on your own. It doesn't need to be in front of everybody or at the discotheque or whatever, you know, like this is like, I mean, this whole record to me is a record that you just experience. It's personal. So I I, kind of like this. I kind of like it. And I know a lot of uh, radio stations preferred love and actually played love over mother as the single when this album came out. Yeah. I mean, you have to wonder if this, if love as a single would have propelled this album to greater commercial heights and given yeah. them an actual hit, not just a critical darling. Maybe, maybe, but uh, I don't know. John Denver's Annie's song is like the commercial version of this song. You know what I mean? Yeah. And John Denver covering Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow, bitch. That's my John Denver. Is that topical? <laughs> Wow, it was it was as if <laughs> Chip Mattinger was in the room. Who was that guy? <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of Chuck Easter. <laughs> Dude, I know I'm Jewish, but thinking of Chuck Biscuits. It's time we Chuck Easter. Chuck Biscuits. <laughs> that guard. Six eight. Chuck Biscuits. <laughs> He's not dead. No, um, he, I think he's not gone. I think love is uh, it's one of my favorite Lennon songs of all time. I've put it yeah. on every mixtape I ever made for a girlfriend. Uh, yeah, it's it's impeccable. It is like I said, it, it's the weird classic that isn't and should be in the John Lennon catalog. It's very strange. Any other artist makes this it's his, it's his signature song. With John Lennon, when you have. 500 great songs, it gets lost in the shuffle. And not being a single, I think, is part of the reason why. Um, let's move on to the one song on here that I, I like. It's my only B-plus on an album full of A's or A-minuses. Uh, B-plus is a low rating. It's it's the only song on here that feels like filler to me. And that's oh. well, well, well. Oh, hard disagree. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. This song and I found out when I first spun this record were not my favorites. But well, 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 similar to I Want You, She's So Heavy started becoming one of my favorites uh, just on the record itself. There's okay. something about it. I, I love this song. I love the chaos of it. I love the the, the dirtiness of that guitar, that that's an acoustic guitar going through a Fender Champ amp with, you know, there's slap back on the drums, mm-hmm. you know, and the vocals. Um, yeah. So it sounds like a fucked up Sun Records. It sounds like Sam Phillips, you know, recorded this. And I, yeah, again, the chaos, I'm talking about the mistakes. I think they just did one take of this. And uh, yeah, so there's mistakes. You actually hear Yoko in the t- talk yeah. back saying you, I, it's indiscernible, but I, it sounds like she's saying like you can do it, do it better or something. <laughs> do it again. It's very faint, but you can hear this like this rah, 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 right before they go back into it uh, when the song breaks down. I love that the song breaks down at the end, and I think those screams he did at the end are the the most visceral screams he ever committed to tape. Yeah, I mean he topped the Janov energy of Mother in this song. Yes, these yeah. screams are absolutely insane. Do not get me wrong, I love this song i just when you think about what just came right before it and the two songs that follow it i feel like it is it 
it's not bad to have a decent album track. I give John all the credit in the world, but to me, it's not on the same caliber as Working Class Hero. We're going to get to God in a minute. Even look at me. It's 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 it is like I want you. She's so heavy in that it's part and parcel of Abbey Road and a really good song, but not of the rest of the heights to me of Abbey Road. I feel this way about this. The middle verse is my favorite verse. It kind of foretells what's about to come politically with power to the people and oh, later yeah. your, your favorite album with elephants, memory <laughs> band, arguably the most technically people talk Genesis. No, no, no. Elephants, memory band. When you really want proficiency. Hey, hold guys. Uh, cut, cut, cut. Let's try that again. I want the sax player to play 10 times louder. Can you do that? Can you wail a bit louder? Um, but we sat and talked to revolution, just like to liberals in the sun, which is again, pointed commentary. We talked of women's liberation and how the hell we could get things done. And then it ends with the repeat of, Oh, well, 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 which almost feels dismissive, not supportive. So again, it's like political, politically loaded. John, don't you know, you can count me out in, there's a lot of that going on here too, that foretells what he's about to spend the next two years doing. I just love those screams. I think without those screams, uh, we wouldn't have the version of Nirvana that we we got. Uh, one of my notes is this song could have fit into the 90s. This sounds like an early 90s. I don't want to be grunge is thrown around too easily. Grunge is like to link like, yeah, I like grunge. I'm a, I'm a big Gin Blossoms fan. But you know what I mean? Like grunge is used to be like, yeah, man, grunge, toe the wet sprocket. I'm hip. Like, it's <laughs> right. like just everybody cool. The two most AAA bands ever. <laughs> just because it came out in 91 does not make it. Uh, grunge said boys to men, <laughs> Mariah Carey mashup. Like everybody calm down. But yeah, it, it's it's got like an early Nirvana type of feel to it, which which is great. I like the song. I love the song. But I think you know what I'm saying. Where it's not of the like. I know what you're saying. You know, we're about to get into uh, a a song that feels to me like the spiritual cousin of Hold On John, which is Look at Me. Yeah. Which is one of my very very favorite songs he yeah. ever recorded. It's uh, I wrote down. Uh, because it's kind of that finger picking. I wrote down, this has got to be Tony's favorite. (laughs) It's certainly one of my favorites for sure on this record. Yeah. Yeah. It was written during the white album. That's why it has that, the claw hammer, the Julia vibe. Yeah. I, 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 I love the vulnerability of this, of the lyrics, uh, and the musicianship. There's like two guitar parts going on that fall in and out of sync, uh, which reveals just how human he is. And that's what this song is saying. Look at me. Wh- who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? Uh, like, he doesn't know. He's 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 scared and he's 30 and he's on top of the world. And, and when I heard this when I was 18 and still 
a fucking spaz and I'm trying to figure out who the fuck I am, you know? And again, to hear one of my idols not know at the top of the world where he was, it just filled me with reassurance. I love this song. Okay. Yes, thank you. Look at me. supposed to be who am I supposed to be look at me what am I supposed to be what am I supposed to be the reasons you said I love it too and the lyric that's always kind of held on most to me as he's questioning everything the final verse who am I nobody knows but me nobody knows but me yeah which is giving the it's after all the questioning it's giving the confidence that it is within him it is I mean lyrically and musically this is about I mean so again this feels this is like a cousin to Julia as well totally right this kind of feels and and of course, who's Julia about? His mom. Yeah, and Yoko. And Yoko. Which gets to the my love part that ends the song. Oh, my love. Oh, my love. Yep. You know, so he's reassured that at least he's not alone. Yes, he might seem alone, but he's got someone he can talk to. And uh, a lot of people look for someone they can talk to. Your inspiration, John Cougar, once saying, <laughs> everyone needs a hand to hold on to. And I'm with you. Human wheels, buddy. Just go round, round, round. <laughs> I hear a lot of people at the Dairy Queen had a problem with him. <laughs> Sucking on dogs. Was it Tasty Freeze? Did I just fuck that up? Sucking on dogs Outside the Tasty Freeze. Ah, uh, it's fuck Someone's me. got his hands between his legs. I, th- I think someone's being assaulted. Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh i would love if it, that song broke down in the middle like oh wait hold on someone's being assaulted. we have to <laughs> we have to assault. save them and the next of the rest of the song's a phone call to the police <laughs> it's like like what happens in stevie wonders living for the city it breaks down into a sketch hey hey brother hey come here flick hey you he look hip man hey you want to make yourself five bucks man huh? yeah bro hey, look here run this car speed for me right quick okay yeah, run this car speed So let's transition into what I believe is the most important song on the album, the song that's basically the album's closer because the song that follows feels more like an epilogue than a song. Um, And there are a few moments in Beatling that still kind of genuinely give me chills. There's more than a few moments, but the two that always come to mind first, this song's number one with I Don't Believe in Beatles, 
and the music drops out and it like a disembodied, clearer version of his voice comes in when he says, I just believe in me. And then, of course, uh, uh, Day in the Life, when the orchestra drops out after the bridge, it just, yeah. I mean, just floors me. But yeah, this song, what it's disavowing his idols, disavowing his past, disavowing the vessel that made him who he is societally. Yeah. In favor of looking ahead and looking forward. This song to me is the most important song any of them ever recorded after they broke up. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I mean, I first heard this song when I rented Imagine John Lennon from the video store. And that's a great, we should do that sometime because that's, love that movie. I still think that one holds up. Uh, with the exception, I never liked the uh, slow mo. <sighs> Today in the life with when the he glasses. Gets killed. Yeah, that, yeah. See, I do love that. That oh, that really? plays into my sappy. That gets me. I I I ball when I see that. And then you, I'm gonna cry right now because then you get to the footage of everyone <laughs> yeah. singing "All You Need Is Love" in Central Park. Yeah, that footage. I mean, that footage yeah, oh, gets me. Yeah, just yeah. gets me. Yeah, this song I just love. I've always loved it, and I think I, we mentioned it before. I think when we did a deep dive on him, but this gave me the permission to be okay with. Uh, rejecting the faith that was attempted to be instilled in me, you know, that I've had problems with since I was six. I, I had had a problem with it, and I couldn't put it into words. And this guy from Liverpool, who was age 30 at the time, was able to put it into words for me. Um, yeah, very simply, too. I, I I think that's what I also like about it is that there's like a science equation to it. Uh, God is a concept by which we measure our pain. It's like God equals concept over pain with, you know, all the different integers of, you know, magic, I Ching, Bible, tarot, et cetera. Tarot. Tarot. <laughs> you don't believe in t the turrets at uh, Friar Park? <laughs> Although we do welcome you to Cracker Box Palace. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and let's I want to go one step further on that, Tony, because the lyric, I mean, I didn't have the same kind of religious epiphany with discovering the song when I was a teenager slash young adult. But he's so confident in the theory God is a concept by which we measure our pain. He fucking comes out and says, I'll say it again. I'll say it again. <laughs> yeah. And he does. The confidence and the cocksureness of John Lennon as he's basically pulling the curtain on organized religion is is a stop. I mean, is it biker like an icon or big boys bickering? No, it doesn't cut that, doesn't cut that deep. But, but, but you know, I love you, Paul. We just got to do bits sometimes. Um, but I mean, what he's saying, if you kind of echo George Harrison's All Things Must Pass, come out right around the same time. Yeah. And on George's biggest song on that album, he's praising Hare Krishna. And My Sweet Lord is just a litany of religiosity. And in this one, John's saying, I don't believe in it. 
And I don't believe in 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 Bob Dylan or Zimmerman. Yep. Uh, I, I don't believe in Kings, Kennedy, and Elvis. the whole litany. Everybody, Elvis, but when, and everybody knows it. But when he gets to, I don't believe in Beatles, and that's Ringo playing drums and Billy Preston playing organ, right? Which are you know, so that that's three fifths of of the band who played on a lot of the Let It Be songs, right there. <laughs> yeah, that's a and, Senate majority, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> or, it's or whatever majority, it is, right? right. <laughs> But yeah, Tony, this when he drops, I, I, um, when he actually says, "I don't believe in Beatles," music drops out. I just believe is in the clear on the word "me." The music comes back in. Yeah. He almost backs into Yoko and me, and then he fucking speaks the words. That's reality. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, we could all use a dose of this song. Still love it. And then, yeah, and then he does have, and then he keeps going and says, you know, you just have to carry on. And, you know, he gives you the strength to just say, like, you just have to carry on, you know. After the 20th of October, do not send fan mail to any address that you have. Nothing will be signed after the 20th of October. I'm warning you with peace and love. <laughs> peace and love. <laughs> right. Ringo is sure a bad boy. And let's talk cooking in the kitchen alone. <laughs> I do like cook in the kitchen. Yeah, no, this is an important song, as if not his most important song, uh, and that and that's including Imagine. Yes, it is including Imagine. What tops what this song accomplishes? I'll go as far as saying in the entire Beatles canon, even as a group. I mean, this what he's saying here, and not just what he's saying, the way he and that crack band communicate it musically is absurd. And uh, I mean, uh, what artist has touched anything? The sentiment, the composition and the performance are out of this world. And John being who he is follows it up with a 45 second nursery rhyme sung almost like a ghost 
called My Mummy's Dead. I love this. Yeah, this is the perfect Ooh. closer. And it's so chilling and it's so intimate. This was from a cassette tape uh, that was labeled July 28th, 1970. So this is... Uh, it wasn't maybe recorded on that date, but wasn't this uh, wasn't this from a cassette tape uh, called Billboard's Top Hits of '82 <laughs> that led with Mickey and close with '65 Love Affair? Do up, Tony Basil. You know, Tony Basil's one of the girls in uh, one of the women in Easy Rider in the with um, Karen Black. She's the other one uh, when they're on acid in the cemetery in New Orleans. It's Karen Black and Tony Basil. I never knew Tony Basil <laughs> did anything before Mickey. Oh, yeah. She, she's like a choreographer or something like that. Yeah. And then she also, the follow-up hit was something like shopping A to Z through the supermarket. Shop, shopping. <laughs> uh, well, that's the worst. A, apples, B, bananas, D, I love bug food. It's yeah. a weird one. It's weird. Yeah. Oh, I think it's great. My mommy's dead. It is, uh, this one would make me cry too. Um, full disclosure. It's so real. It's what it is, man. Yeah. It's, it's three, it's basically, it's three blind mice. And, um, I should say there's something about the Beatles podcast has an interesting, cool recording tidbit. So listen to the one they do one with, uh, they just released it. If you listen to this, it's good. Is it the stars on 45 version of this? <laughs> you can boogie like disco. My mommy's dead. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. No, no, no. <laughs> My mommy's dead. Beat the clock. You got to beat the clock. My mommy's dead. <laughs> with some uh, vaguely sounding Swedish John impersonator singing it. No, it's um, I mean it's it's a literal demo. To your point, it was on a cassette tape. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of the one the only song on here that he didn't re-record in the studio. It's the yeah. demo of it. It's haunting. First song recorded for the album. <laughs> yeah, it's a fir- first song recorded for the album, and it's all the more chilling as the closer and following the statement of God, and it buttons. The album begins with the screaming pain of mother, where John is f- so invested, he's screaming himself to tears. And then it ends with John from a distance, just singing My Mummy's Dead like a nursery rhyme. And then you blink and it's over. And that yeah. the, the needle just runs out in the grooves and you go, what have I just listened to? Um, you know, th- Tony, there are so many albums in the solo Beatles catalog that are really good. There are fewer, but certainly a lot of albums that are great. I mean, if you're going to look at, again, this, I think you and I can agree, this All Things Must Pass, Ram, in contention for the best three solo Beatles albums, I don't see a world where this would ever not float on the top as being, it's confessional, and it's brilliant, and it's tasteful, and it's composed, and recorded, and played beautifully. If Well, Well, Well is the one non A plus grand slam song on here. And it's only a home run or a, or a, a you know, a disagree. 
I, I'm, I, I'm, that, and that's fair. I'm just from my opinion because it's also what? What is it? Seven minutes? Well, well, it's about six no. forty or something. To make <laughs> here, that up. How long is well, well, well? Here, I got the got the vinyl right here. Uh, side two. Well, well, well. I'm gonna. I'm, my, my guess is that it's five uh, five forty two. Um, five fifty two. <laughs> Okay, five fifty two <laughs> off by ten seconds. You don't know your shit. <laughs> and can we can we just I wanna we can edit this out. <laughs> you're a quote unquote Beatle fan and you're giving fucking shit to Dan Richter? <laughs> like, I mean, no, no, for seriously, real, that go, Beatle no, who? that he pissed me off at that Beatle convention. <laughs> I was in line. I wanted my yellow submarine socks signed by Ringo, and here's Phil McDonald. Like, you know, I took the picture on plastic on a band. I'm like, I don't care. And then he takes a picture of me. You know, in Christmas story, the kid behind him that like with the goggles, that was Phil McDonald. No, not Phil. What's his name? Dan Richter. <laughs> I think Dan Richter's saying, I'm not talking about moving in. Now don't want to change your life. But there's a warm wind blowing, the stars around. I found it, and I really want to see you tonight. <laughs> Coming up next, Tony and I on Dan Ford in England, John Fogarty. Not John fucking Fogarty. What's his name? John Fogarty's got COVID. We have breaking news. Ladies and gentlemen, England Dan and John Ford Coley. But yeah, man, this uh, th- this album, you know, I-, I can't say enough about it. And like, I have the most. Co- I've got the original Apple. I've got the '83 Capital Rainbow issue. I've got the 2010 version. I've got the Half Speed wow, Master, man. the tape, the eight. Like, the tape, yeah. this is just one that you just kind of want to hold because it's when you're listening to it and looking at the liner notes, uh, uh, the the excuse me, the inner sleeve. It's a travesty. Before we wrap, that this was not properly issued as a 50th anniversary. By the folks at EMI, we mentioned that last week. I think it's yeah, it, it is in the it, works. It's but in the, works. the anniversary is the eleventh, and with all due respect to McCartney, three can't wait to hear the record. And I'm disappointed they're promoting it by saying recorded in Rockdown. Yeah, I don't know. That's frustrating yeah. to me. Yeah, I mean, I got through this year without ever hearing Rocktober, and now you're throwing Rockdown at me. <laughs> it's a little. It's it. It's like it, you know what it is. It's like he hired Alec Baldwin and Lauren Michaels to write a tag for it. Like it should be funny, but it's not funny. You're welcome, TJ. <laughs> That's right. I I probably should mention Tony. Of course, writes all the Alec Baldwin Trump stuff for SNL. Yeah, and is his dialect coach. And I'm still, <laughs> I'm still waiting to get paid. He's very, <laughs> he's very in character about that. <laughs> That's right. Neither Trump nor Bob would never fucking pay anybody. No. So this is, um, so yeah, this is. However you organize it, this is an album that if you are not super familiar with, you need to get familiar with it right away because it'll change you. It really will. I agree. I would take nothing out and I would add nothing else to this. I don't think Instant Karma fits on this. I don't think Cold Turkey fits on this. I think this is the album. Uh, There weren't many outtakes other than just like warming up cover jams. Um, This is the album. This is what you get. Um, Try and find it on vinyl. And uh, yeah, it's the best one. I stand by it. I think it's perfection. I do too. And if you can find the Dave Dexter version (laughs) where where side two closes with beef jerky... (laughs) It's really worth. Uh, it's really worth. Uh, it's weird because they take off God and put on Newtopian International Anthem, which is silence. Yeah, that's just <laughs> fuck Dave Dexter, Junior. See you next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you. 
Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe.